Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the newest edition of the Board of Pharmacy What, Why, and How podcast. My name is Brett Barker. I'm VP of Government Affairs for the Iowa Pharmacy Association. With me, I have Elizabeth Orpit, who is our Executive Fellow at the Association, and Sue Mears, who is with the Board of Pharmacy. Welcome. Thank you. So the board had a meeting yesterday, so we're going to dive right into some of the content from the meeting, and Sue can fill us in on the what, why, and how, and how it affects your practice. So um, one thing that wasn't uh, an item necessarily on the agenda, but is something that is generating a lot of questions out in the industry has been the FDA Memorandum of Understanding regarded compounded drug preparations dispensed interstate. It's something that the board has been wrestling with for many, many years now, and you know is finally getting ready to go into effect. And now the FDA has been delayed, and so licensees have questions, and the board's had some discussion around that and is going to be pushing out some info, but maybe Sue can fill us in a little bit about um, what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the board had agreed to enter into the MOU with the FDA. And then, of course, um, you know, it's it's under legal review. And so it, it's on pause right now with FDA. So that MOU isn't actually um, in place right now, but the board had already adopted rulemaking to require compounding pharmacies that are um, interstate distributing prescriptions to be reporting their compounding activities annually to the NABP information sharing network. And that rule is still in effect. Um, and the board does expect pharmacies who fall into that under that umbrella of interstate dispensing to be reporting their compounding to NABP. Um, and then the board will still be using that informationally as part of our compliance activities and efforts. Um, we just won't be then telling NABP to forward that information to FDA because that MOU is not, um, you know, in effect. So we do still want pharmacies to be, you know, reporting that. The deadline for reporting from last year was April 1st. You know, if you haven't had an opportunity to get that done, I just do encourage pharmacies to go ahead and get that reporting done. Um, and then our um, compounding inspectors will be talking to you about it and, and looking for that when they're out inspecting. Um, so, yeah, that's where we stand with that at the moment. Thank you, Sue. I know another thing the board discussed yesterday was several federal agency comment periods. One that was noteworthy was the REMS program for opioid analgesics. Can you provide some background on that for our listeners? Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago, um, FDA published in the Federal Register, um, published notice that they are opening a public docket um, and they are requesting comments. And what they're putting out is that they are proposing to amend the REMS for the opioid analgesics to require in an outpatient setting, anytime an opioid analgesic is dispensed, that a mailback envelope is also dispensed and that the pharmacist provides counseling specifically on safe disposal of those medications. So it's just something that they're thinking of doing and they're looking for comments on that. And from what I read of it, their expectation is that manufacturers would be required to provide those mailback envelopes. Um, but then ultimately the pharmacy, of course, would have to come up with some internal policies and procedures and a rubric for when they're going to um, do that and when they're going to give out those envelopes and when they feel that that discussion about disposal would be necessary. Um, so the board will be working on compiling some comments 
um, in response to this um, FDA request, um, but I'm sure they would certainly encourage the association or you know individual pharmacies or chains to be also looking at that uh, federal register in that docket and submitting comments as well. Excellent. And yeah, Sue's correct. Um, the association will be sending in comments. The board will as well. If individual licensees or practitioners would like to also turn in comment, um, that will only help. Or you can help guide our comments too um, by by pro providing us some feedback. And um, can I? I'll just jump in and just let people know where they can, um, if they can look it up in the federal register. It was volume 87, number 77, that was published Thursday, April 21st. And then the comment period um, is through June 21st. Perfect. And another big topic was new security rules that were adopted and filed yesterday. Those have been discussed for quite some time. There's been several revisions to those. I know lots of lots of public comment, oral hearings. Um, what are some highlights from the final rule? And then yeah. when does that rule go into effect? Yeah, good question. So really not a lot of things actually um, changed. Um, but a few things did, so I'll just highlight some of those um, based on the comments that were received. Um, the, the board still will require physical security and monitoring systems to be in place at all pharmacies, um, but the change that they were willing to make was to extend the effective date. Um, overall, the rulemaking is expected to be effective July 6th of this year, um, but this particular component of it would not be effective for one year after that. Um, so um, if there needs to be some budget requests and you know backlog of materials and installation, um, then they'd have a little bit more time. So that wouldn't be effective until July 6th of 2023. Um, let's see, other changes. Um, one of the, the components um, was relating to um, the annual inventory or inventory counts for controlled substances and the board had wanted to to change it to require an exact count for every controlled substance um, and a lot of comments i shouldn't say a lot but some comments were sent in um, requesting that it, they just go back to you know what it currently is and and what dea requires and allowing some estimates um, but the board just felt like they're have been enough instances where there's just not a good way to get a good audit when you don't have a good number to start with. Um, so they they do want to continue with an exact count uh, for any solid dosage forms, but they were willing to modify um, and allow for an estimate of a liquid container that's contained in a non-incremented container um, so that their pharmacy doesn't have to pour it out into um, another incremented container potentially losing some of that product in the pouring um, as long as they're um, estimating to the nearest one for and I think that's really those are really the changes the biggest changes you know there were a couple minor ones from the the code editors but um, you know, those are the two big changes I think and is there anything that uh, maybe wasn't changed in the because of comments, but maybe would be changes to practice that folks should expect as well that you didn't hit on? Well, I think that just to clarify that the um, you know, for the C2 perpetual inventory, it'll need to be reconciled um, every fill, every transaction. Um, 
which I think most pharmacies probably do. Um, but for those that don't, you know, the board's expectation is that the perpetual inventory is indeed perpetual. And the only way to ensure that is if it's verified um, every time you're you're opening it and getting into it. Um, you know, counting that taking an inventory count. Um, they did change that. Um, or the, you know this rulemaking changes that it would also be required when there's even an interim pharmacist in charge. So if you have, um, you know, a temporary pharmacist charges when the the permanent the pick is is leaving the position and not coming back. And if you don't have a permanent pick um, at the time, you can designate a temporary pick, um, and that that person can serve up to 90 days. And um, and then an interim pick is when say the permanent pick is just on a you know medical leave or something. Um, so the rules would now require a change, an inventory count every time there's a, one of those types of changes where a new pick is assuming um, the role. Very good. And, you know, we talked about the what and the how. Um, can you enlighten folks a little bit on the why for the security changes? Yeah, the board has just over the last several years um, and, and it's something that you don't necessarily see from the public side of it, but from, you know, investigative um, and getting the board gets reports of DEA 106 forms of theft and loss and um, diversion cases. And so the board just has had enough of those instances where they just felt like more, more scrutiny and more security is needed to make sure that these drugs are secure and accounted for. Thank you, Sue. So one of the last things that was discussed yesterday during the board meeting was noticing proposed rules regarding compounding record keeping requirements. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what are the changes and what is the intent of the board seeking those changes? Yeah, so this is one where um, we're just at the beginning stages. So the board um, will be filing it for notice of intended action and putting it out for public comment. Um, and what this does is to provide a little bit more clarity on what the expectation is for the records relating to ingredients used in compounds. Um, and I think, um, you know, our rule just says records shall allow for the identification of all ingredients used in compounding. And I think the board's expectation and our, you know, compliance staff expectation was always that, you know, to identify the ingredients seems obvious to include lot number and expiration. Um, but there's been confusion in pharmacies on what exactly needs to be included um, on that on that record. So this is hoping to provide some clarity um, for pharmacies to know what all information has to be included. And so it would clarify that it would include the source of the ingredient, the lot number, and the expiration date. Um, and then just in the the discussions of um, these compounding records, the um, was also added to include that the compounding steps that are involved in the preparation need to be documented in that record as well. Um, and then the other changes are just to break up the rule into sub rules so that it's um, a little cleaner. Very good. Now we're going to put Elizabeth on the hot seat a little bit. So Elizabeth has been a very instrumental work with me over the last four months and in my new role and She's joined Board of Pharmacy meetings throughout most of her fellowships. So, Elizabeth, what, if anything, has surprised you about Board of Pharmacy meetings? Yeah, well, thank you, Brett. Um, 
I was actually fortunate as a P4 student to do a rotation with the Board of Pharmacy. So I, I got that experience prior to starting the fellowship. Um, but I would say I have had the pleasure of attending almost all of the Board of Pharmacy meetings throughout my fellowship. Um, and I think the biggest thing that surprised me when I was a student and then into the start of my fellowship was just, I think that a lot of people maybe think the board is scary. Um, and going into that office for five weeks and then working with the board continuously throughout my fellowship has been nothing short of amazing. Um, everyone is always kind and just really wants to help answer any questions I may have or other members might have. Um, and, it, and I just think that that's been the biggest surprise. I really enjoy working with everyone at the board and I'm going to be sad uh, when the fellowship ends and I won't get to have those uh, frequent conversations, connections, and meetings with everyone at the board. Yeah, and that, that's a good plug for students who might be looking for rotations. There's some non-traditional ones at both the association and the board that they should look at to get, get more in depth here. Um, but you did mention, you know, lead into the next question about, you know, your involvement with the board. And do you have any advice for listeners who may be looking to be more engaged about pharmacy regulations in Iowa? Yeah, this is something that I've really gotten to dive deep in over the last few months um, throughout the fellowship. And I would say if you're a pharmacist, a technician, whatever it may be, if there is a public comment period, look at what those changes may be and submit comments if you have any submit suggestions um, or how you feel those changes might impact impact your practice. Um, and that goes for the oral comment period as well. If there's something you want to, you can address the board. Like I said, it's actually not as scary as it seems. I had to do it for the first time a few weeks ago, or I guess last week, and uh, wasn't wasn't scary at all. Sue's very, very wonderful. Um, but yes, I would say uh, submit public comments, attend the board meetings if you're able. If they still do the virtual option for board meetings, that's a great way to maybe just have it up if you're not able to be there in person. Um, and then, yeah, really just in listening to this podcast as well, even if you can't attend to really see what the highlights were from those meetings. I think that's the best and easiest way to get ways to get involved. And I think that everyone should get involved. You know, this is our profession um, and we have to advocate. And I know the board advocates along right side along us, just just like we would advocate for anyone else. So it's been a pleasure and uh, I would encourage everyone to get involved in any way you can, big or small. Very good. And, and I think emphasizing the Zoom option, I think that's one really good thing that coming out of the pandemic is the ability for licensees across the state to tune in to board meetings and um, be more involved that way. And, you know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head too, because having been a board member, one of the things we liked was having a lot of comment to make sure, um, you know, diff every practice is different. And I think the board wants to make sure they're not, there's not an unintended consequence or a detail they didn't think about, they want to get it right. So the only way to do that is to hear from more licensees across the state. So absolutely, I think your point about making sure folks send in comments and it can be sh a short little email with a couple sentences. Hey, has the board thought about X and they go to Sue and Sue does an awesome job at making sure the rules committee talks through all those considerations. So very, very good point, Sarah Elizabeth. Yeah, I would I would absolutely echo that. It is so important to get some feedback from you know, all interested stakeholders because they're, you know, the board may be thinking of it this way and, you know, may not be thinking of it, how it would impact other practice settings. Um, so it's absolutely 
yeah, very much appreciated that people are involved in that process. And as far as the, the Zoom option, I think for board me meetings, I don't foresee that going away. I, I feel like that will probably be a forever thing. Um, yeah, so I highly encourage participation that way. Very good. Well, I think that covered all of our business from yesterday's meeting. We thank you all for listening again to this What, Why, and How podcast. Hopefully you find it valuable. We look forward to doing the next one, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.